Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy. Hey everybody, Jimmy Corain, and this is another episode of Improv Nerd, sponsored by those good people at Hotel Lincoln. And the next time you find yourself here in the city of Chicago, and you are looking for a cool boutique hotel that's different than anything you've ever been in before, uh, it's not only pet friendly, it's improv friendly as well, it's also close to everything, it's right around the corner from Second City, across from the beautiful, historic Lincoln Park Zoo, and it's just minutes from Chicago's Loop. Where do people stay when they come to Chicago to do Improv Nerd? Well, that's the official hotel of Improv Nerd Hotel Lincoln. Also, don't forget about my award-winning improv classes, The Art of Slow Comedy, where we teach you to, before you can be funny, you need to be real. I've got classes starting June 2nd and June 28th. Also, if you're in town in July for any sort of intensives, we have got two intensives on July 6th and 20th. It's one day, The Art of Slow Comedy Intensives. For more information about that, just go to my website, jimmycorain.com. That's right, jimmycorain.com. Oh, brother, we have such a special show for you today. You know him as Champ Kind from the Anchorman movies. You also know him from The Office. You know him from a million other movies. He's one funny guy, and he's a dear friend of mine, David Koechner. Now, we recorded an episode about two years ago with David. It was just a straight-on interview. This one was an actual live improv nerd filmed at my alma mater, Columbia College. Did I say alma mater? Alma mater, Columbia College. And what was so cool for me, and of course I had to have my wife, Lauren, point this out to me later was that it was shot in the television department and it was shot in a television studio and there was three cameras just like you would see on Oprah or Steve Harvey something like that we had a director they brought in a studio audience we had a stage manager I was so so super professional and I just want to share with you guys and want to share with the universe too and maybe somebody who's listening who's like oh Jimmy I work for IFC or I'm a manager I can help you out um but I'm going to put that out there. One of my visions uh, for Improv Nerd is to have it be recorded uh, and taped for television and be shown on like Sundance or IFC. So it's really important for me to verbalize my vision or my goal or my dream because if I don't, I, I want to hide it because on some level, I don't think I deserve it. And I have a lot of shame about saying, oh, this is what I'd like for Improv Nerd. I'd like to host Improv Nerd. I'd like it to be on IFC or Sundance. Uh, I'd like to get uh, 20 episodes a year. Because what usually comes up for me when I, when I say this is what I want in my life is the next thing, the next morning I get up and I have like a, a hangover from it. And I feel angry and I feel like I don't deserve it. And so I'm just avoiding the feelings. And I feel like this is a safe place to talk to, talk to you about it. And uh, maybe you've had similar experiences. Anyways, you are going to love Dave Keckner. Dave Keckner is so passionate. He talks about improvisation. He talks about working on Anchorman. He talks about breaking up. Is it okay to break up on stage? And what, what he, his theory is about it. He also uh, gives us a master class on what he uses to inspire him uh, at the beginning of improv scenes. I, I, I just thought this was, this was like a class, and I learned a lot. I hope you learned as much as I did. Here it is. My dear friend, David Keckner. It's a great hug, David. I'm not, I'm not too uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, Dave. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Long day of... Long day. You, you love to do the press, don't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some, to a degree. But I have a, a very, very good uh, and aggressive PR team. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Is that, I met him backstage? Beth, Beth, Beth yeah. yeah. So she set me up with nine events today. Great. Yeah. Is this was not one of them? Is this yeah, one? I count this as one. Okay, great, yeah. great. Um, I want to talk about, your, you know, you're known for doing big characters. Uh-huh. Is that loud? Some of them are loud, Some wouldn't you loud. say? Okay, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a saying in improv, play to the top of your intelligence. Mm -hmm. and I, so you're going to ask, why don't I? <laughs> no, I'm going to say, how... No, I'm, no, I'm going to say, how do you combine those, those, those two things? Well, you know, it's script to script, and you have to do what's required in the script. Uh, so 
improvisation you play at the top of your intelligence, that doesn't always translate to what's happening in the script. Yeah, you still want to be as smart as you possibly can be in, in, in bring that to the top of that character's intelligence. You know, that's about what you can do. You can't change the template of what's already on, on the page. And now you're doing a lot more stand-up. Yeah. Do you regret not doing it earlier? Yeah. And what prevented you from doing it earlier? Well, remember, when we were doing it, Jimmy, there's a, a real prejudice against stand-ups mm -hmm. and improv. Yes. And so the two never really met mm -hmm. because there was a prevailing feeling that if you were a, a stand-up, you wouldn't be true to the scene in improvisation, uh, which is <laughs> just stupid. That doesn't mean just because you do one thing doesn't mean you can't do the other. Right. Effectively. But, but it was true. There I mean, we hated stand-ups, wouldn't yeah. you say? Well, hate's a strong word, but we're, there was a, definitely a prejudice against, like, well, he's a stand-up. He's only going to do jokes in the scene. He's not right. going to play the scene. Right. He's not an artist like we are. Yeah. 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 It was a bit ridiculous because when we started, you know, all you do is talk about improvisation. Do you remember just yeah. hours and hours and hours about improvisation? Uh, and the people... It was a religion. Yeah, yeah, it was religion. And then the people that we thought... And a lot of people say, you're the only one I can admit this. We would sit in coffee houses and go, how did, they, how did Second City hire them? Yes. Yeah. We'd be bitter <laughs> yeah. and small. Mm -hmm. And how, how did that help? Uh, it didn't. It didn't, no. no. But you, we killed a lot of time doing it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that, how does your improv background, how has it helped you with your stand-up? Oh, uh, immensely, because uh, sometimes you just have a grain of an idea, and you can go up on stage and start working it out. And you always find new stuff all the time. And do you... Do you oh, I, mean, I guess the other thing, it helps you not be afraid to introduce the idea. Like, I don't know, I have an idea, I'll just find it. See what the audience will tell you what's, what works and what doesn't. The other night I was driving to... I was doing a set on Tuesday night, and I was driving there, and a... Uh, um, a fire engine came through an intersection and had what I felt was a pretty lazy siren. And so I thought, oh, maybe there's something there. And so I went up and got about, I don't know, three or four minutes off of lazy siren, and I didn't know where it was going to go, but I thought, also, what's going on with that fireman during that day? Maybe they're hungover, or maybe they just are lazy, or maybe they're fed up with being a, a fireman, because the siren really was like, well, I was like, wow, it doesn't seem <laughs> too urgent, seems lazy. And I thought, well, what about, what else? A lazy policeman, uh, a, a surgeon that's just really kind of over it, really doesn't like it. You know, like, ah, this guy's probably going to die today. He's just not into it. <laughs> the other thing that I love about you is there's a part of you that I think really enjoys his success now. Is that true? Uh, I enjoy knowing that... Uh, my family's taken care of um, but to even say that sounds like I wasn't enjoying my success I don't have an ego oh come on er, early on yeah. uh, when we were starting out I don't think you were well neither well there's that frustration you feel because and it's a thing that keeps you uh, it holds you back when you say why not me why that other guy and when that, did you that, stop saying that uh, I hope, I don't know exactly when. You want uh -huh. the date? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'd say years ago. Mm -hmm. Because who cares? You know, someone else gets a job, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're, if you're focusing on why you didn't get something, you're focusing on the wrong thing. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that you seem to enjoy, like, the acting part, you mm -hmm. know, and the, the actual work, like, in, in front of the on-camera. But there's also a part of you that really enjoys being out with the public, having being recognized and stuff like that. Okay. I, yes. Well, it's just a matter of course. It's what it is. So So you accept that, that that's part of the job? Sure. You know. You may expound on that? Yes. Well, it happened slowly for me. So now it's just something that is part of what happens in my life, so I don't give it that much thought. What happens slowly? Oh, recognition. Mm -hmm. People recognizing you for who you are. Mm -hmm. yeah. And who do they recognize you the most? Oh, Champ Kind and mm -hmm. Todd Packer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, doing um, Anchorman 2, because the last time we had an interview, you, you tell this great story about the first time you did Anchorman, and if you could just retell it, that everybody everybody thought they were, everybody was, doing, was stealing the movie from everybody else. Well, I want to preface by okay. saying it's not necessarily a great story. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a story. Uh, if you find it great, great. Okay. Well, it had happened with, where's that noise coming from? It happened within the first week of filming, myself and Steve and, and Paul. This is Anchorman 1. Anchorman 1. 
we had all gone back, gone home to our, our spouses and had the same thing to say, these guys are killing it, I'm not keeping up, I, I don't know what's going on, they're all great. But it was interesting because everybody had the same reaction about the other person. Uh, so, and then what was, was the story longer before? Uh, <laughs> I've truncated it. Yeah, sorry. I, you know, but yeah, the feeling was everyone's killing it. I'm not keeping up, which I think kind of helped everybody tune in to that first Anchorman because you were really burning it up here, going, I really want to focus and dial in and give the best that I can. And then what was different now when you came back to do Anchorman two? Um, well, McKay said everybody got better. Adam McKay, Adam, the, director. the director. Yeah. He said everyone's better across the board. Did you enjoy it more or was there pressure like, oh? I, I, there's, you know, pressure is not, that's something you create. So to me, here's a gift. Go open it every day. That's how I tried to approach it. And I can't may have told you, I, I said I'm really focusing on being very present. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Being, being in the moment, mm -hmm. not not thinking or letting worry enter this, the equation or anything else, not being interrupted by any other thought that wants to crash in and interrupt your process. And what happens when those thoughts come? You're pro you're not present. And so, how do you get rid of them? Are you well? You can focus on your breathing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, because I don't know, because those thoughts are in my head all the time. Well, you can make a decision. You know, mm -hmm. say a prayer mm -hmm. uh, for clarity for. Uh, presence, mm -hmm. where you know, make that meditate in the morning. You know, anytime I'm not present, I'm gonna, you know, focus on my breathing for a couple seconds and then be here. You know, we had Garland on uh, a show, and he was talking about doing TM before me or after me. When did you have Garland? On? Uh, it was before <laughs> you. And he, how, how did he do? How, he did very well. <laughs> not that you care. There's that thing about stand-ups I think that we probably uh, didn't enjoy. Is there's, there's it's really competitive, it can be if you want to be, because someone will say so and so went up. How do you do? And there's there's a, there is, was a feeling I think that I didn't address earlier a feeling that stand ups were a little bit more selfish, and if someone else does well, it's not good for you. Mm -hmm. But the more people that do well in anything like that, it's good for everybody. I've got a buddy of mine, Eric Zicklin, who says you should root for every comedy. If you're in the comedy business, you should root for every comedy because they're going to make more comedies. Like, even if you don't like whatever sitcom on television, you should root for it because then there's going to be more comedies. You might think, that, oh, there, there's going to be more bad comedies. No, there's going to be more comedies. They're going to give everybody more work. Anyway, you were, I, I uh, took you off. No, I love what you have to say. Yeah. Um, and then when you were doing Anchorman 2, yeah. the promotion, you go back to Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And this was the first time you were back there since you had been fired in 1995. What was that experience like? <laughs> My contract wasn't renewed. I wasn't fired. Okay. <laughs> How did you look at that? How did you look at that? Did you look at being fired or did you look at that as your contract not No, being I renewed? looked at it for what it was. I knew it was a lot of politics that didn't involve me. Mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with my abilities or talent or because I'd had a very successful season mm -hmm. and it was one executive in Los Angeles who had more power than that particular season that he'd had before mm -hmm. and he decided to do that. Lorne wanted to keep me. Lorne Michaels. Yeah, Lorne didn't want me to go. Mm -hmm. But he was, he had to have bosses to answer to mm -hmm. and he couldn't, the show had dipped in ratings and this is the first year for Mad TV and for Howard Stern's late night show and they wanted changes and that was just the way it was. That was politics. It was nothing to do with my ability or my performance that season or anything else. And I knew all that and I had a great meeting with, with Lorne. You know, and he told me all this. He didn't want me to go, but uh, so that's just the way it went. So I understood that. It hurt like hell, but, you know. How did you it. get over that, Dave? A lot of drinking. <laughs> oh, no, just time. Mm -hmm. You know, move on. And, you know, I got work right away. So you just keep going. Well, the thing I was impressed was you were like, I'm, getting, I'm going right to L.A. Oh, yeah. I mean, you didn't let this oh, get yeah. you down. Hang out in New York and feel sorry for myself. Like, the work's out here. There's... A lot less work in New York than there is in L.A. So, And that's the thing, Dave. You have so much drive. I am jealous that you have so much drive. And you've always had so much drive. Where does that come from? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I was talking to Joe earlier. I, I started working for my dad when I was seven. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I'm from a family of workers. Uh, you know, my dad was worked extremely hard. You know, his family all worked hard. His, his brothers and brothers all had businesses. You know, and my mother's side of the family, they're all more intellectuals uh, and, you know, had 
jobs in that field, like they were the teachers or priests or nuns or uh, stuff like that. And uh, so maybe that's it, because everyone around me had that kind of work ethic. Well, and you always said to me, and I don't know if it's changed, but back in the 80s and whatever, I'm never working hard enough. Jimmy, you can always work harder. Is that still true today? Well, yeah, because you can. <laughs> I mean, how can you? You're doing all this stuff. You're acting, you're putting a, writing and creating a variety show, yeah, yeah. and you're doing movies all the time, you have five kids. Do you go home at night and say, when you put your head on the pillow, geez, I could have gotten another 40 <laughs> minutes in. Do if you? I, if I'd gotten up earlier. <laughs> um, you can be more focused, you know. I don't, I don't, I'm not as focused as I'd like to be all day long. Do you think you have ADD? Oh, I know I do. Okay. Yeah. And how does that show up in your career? Well, you'll not focus on something like you should. You know? Like, will you start something and then leave it and go? Where's go, the page? It's page here? It's, it's yeah. page, page. Page is right there. Page is your, your personal she, assistant. She should probably tell you better. Uh, uh, yeah, I've got ADD. Yeah. And I don't. <laughs> How does it show up, Paige, when you're working with him? I'll have a conversation with him, and all of a sudden he'll start telling me about his kids. <laughs> so it's like, Paige, can you email Alex Murray? Oh, Eve this morning. <laughs> that's, what, that's how it's like. Oh, my God. That's not it's so horrible. No, it's not. What, but what is I, I tend to not focus uh, thing, and you can, you know. You certainly can't. No, you were asking a question earlier, how it felt for me to go back. To yes. That, no, uh, I didn't care. I really didn't. And you might think that's a bunch of horseshit, but I didn't care because I was focused on something else. Uh, One Direction was on the show. And my daughter, Margot, who's 12, last year had 271 pictures of One Direction. In her. <laughs> so when I heard they were on the show and we were going on the show, I'm like, fuck yes. All I wanted was a picture with Margot in One Direction. So that was my goal. I didn't give a shit about SNL. I know, whatever. I still will. Uh, I'm just over that. It doesn't matter to me. It's not. Why is that? Why should that be important? Um, and now, Will, Will Ferrell, yeah, did say to me when I showed up there one night for rehearsal. He goes, I, I forgot to even ask you or check in with you. I, is this is this is this bother you at all? Coming back? He's so sweet because he does care. He's like, are you? Are you okay? Is this I'm like, I, I really don't care. All I care about is that my daughter's coming tomorrow to New York, and she's going to fucking meet One Direction. <laughs> and that's all I care about. And that got to happen, and here's how it happened. So Margot comes with Paige, because my wife was taking a college course, and she, she couldn't fly out. So Paige flew out with her, and uh, the studio was kind enough to fly them out and put them up in their own room uh, in a very nice hotel in New York. And then, so they came. What's the first time you guys came was that... that that Saturday? Friday. You came on the Friday? Did you meet them then? No, is it Saturday? No, we came. You came in town on Friday, but then. And then it was like Friday night, and then Saturday all day we were with you guys. Came to the show, yeah. So we, you have to go there to rehearse a little earlier. And there was, it was Christmas season, and everything's packed, streets are packed. And they uh, send a car for us. And it's only five blocks, but it took over a half an hour because it's so crowded because of the tree and the skating rink and all that stuff. And. Uh, the streets are lined with crazy uh, uh, One Direction people, and they take us down this street, and the guy flack, flicks his lights, and the, they open up this barricade and bring us all in, and I'm hoping Margo's taking the toll in, because this is not every day how things work, right? And they take us in the bottom of 30 Rock, and you know, Margo can't possibly know, but this doesn't, you don't ever enter this way. They put us up, they've got a police escort, we go up the elevator, all that stuff, it's just crazy. And so they're waiting in my dress room, my, my dress room is right next to Will's, on the show, uh, and so it came time to rehearse that opening bit we're doing. We're doing this afternoon, song. afternoon Delight. So we all go into Will's room, and all One Direction goes in Will's room, so I pull Margo into the room with us. And so we're rehearsing in there for, what, 20 minutes? Mm -hmm. So we're singing it with One Direction the whole time. We're trying to figure out what parts we're going to do, and Margo's sitting right in front of me, and she's cl she's this close to One Direction, right, the whole she's time. like at two feet, like yes, two feet. so I'm so fucking happy that this is going on. And as soon as it's over, I said, hold on, boys, don't leave. We're going to get a picture with my daughter. And they're so nice and sweet and accommodating. And uh, I made one of them move because she had one of her favorites. I made her. <laughs> who's, who's your favorite One Direction? Do you even know? Or are you just by, it, by, it, by it, appearance? It, no, it was Zane. Okay. <laughs> Zane's recently got engaged, so he's less uh, interested in, in meeting people. So mm -hmm. 
by the end of the night, she was less interested in Zane and moved on. <laughs> but so we got a picture, and those boys were so nice. And then she had her magazines, and they all signed her magazines. And then a couple of them kept coming into my room and uh, would just hang out. Mark was just like, <laughs> that was pretty awesome. So that's what I cared about more than anything else. And the other thing is... And we got to do a Bill Brasky, so what do yeah, I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that surreal for you? No, that was awesome. Okay. So I'm... You want to know how it came out? Yeah. I found out Paul was hosting when we were flying to Australia. Paul Rudd. To, Paul Rudd. We're, we're going to Australia to shoot... Um, or to uh, promote. promote the movie. And so Paul and I had stayed out late one night, and we're hanging out in his suite. Oh, is he a big partier? No. Okay. <laughs> this is being filmed. Jimmy. Yeah, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> we, had, we had said prayers. Okay. Late prayers. <laughs> and, uh, He's born again, right? Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. Anyways, we were hanging out, and uh, I said, it's going to be the four of us. We should do a Brasky. And then we sat there and watched a bunch of Braskies, the old Braskies on his phone, and we were both just laughing. And so the next day, we pitched it to... Uh, Will and Adam, and so everybody agreed. Now, ultimately, Steve decided he didn't want to do it. Uh, so Taryn was in the thing with us, too. But to me, I'm like, look, we've got to go back. We're going to hang out in one direction. My daughter gets to meet him, gets to take a picture, and do a Brasky. What do I want? Uh, on that show, you sang Afternoon Delight. Yeah. And, and I, I've known you for a long time. You, you, you admit you are not a good singer. I can, I, I'm never going to take a job from a singer. Okay, great. <laughs> How is it learning? Because when you do it, you're actually singing a part. Yeah, well, we sang it in the movie. We rehearsed it for the movie. I don't, I don't have any, Plus, I sang for years in the trucker show. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't Naked even, trucker, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even think about it. Okay. Yeah. It's as good as it's going to be. It's sometimes not how, uh, how well you sing. It's how you want to sing, how much you want to sing. And that can be as interesting as, as it being good or bad. If you're absolutely horrible and it's unlistenable, it's like, wow, okay. But sometimes passion can win. Are the other three good singers? Carell's a good singer. Steve's very good, good. Paul's very good, and, and Will's good. Mm-hmm. Steve's the best. Paul's mm-hmm. set next. Then me and Will what what makes it. Will so special in your mind? Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to say. He's really centered. He's really centered, and he's quietly focused. He knows what he wants, and it happens. Um, he knows where he wants to be, where he wants to get. And he, um, he, he operates on a very low vibration, like me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it just, he's just, uh, he's gifted, and uh, maybe he's special. Will told me a story once where um, he grew up in Orange County, and, which is south of Los Angeles by quite a ways. But uh, living down there, and his dad had taken him to a hardware store, and he was about two or three. And his dad was getting ready to check out, and he couldn't find Will. And he's, he's standing at the counter with some big man, and he goes up there, and John Wayne is holding a three-year-old Will Ferrell <laughs> up there by the counter waiting for the dad to come up. So maybe that's it. <laughs> you know, when we were starting out, there was one person that you could not deny his talent, and that was Farley. Oh, yeah. How do you compare those two? I'm the two different energies. Um, well, they're both fearless. That's how I'd say they're mm-hmm. alike. They're both fearless. Will doesn't even give thought to you know, whatever. Do you think Will doesn't care about what other people think? Oh, I know he doesn't. Do you think that's a secret part of his success? I, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, he doesn't seem to be. He finds joy in everything. Mm-hmm. I'd say that might be part of it, too. The other thing that I, I love about your career is you diversify. It's not just you're, you're just not an actor. You, you're always creating something. How important has that been to your career? Um... It's interesting because sometimes I think it, it, it works in my favor, and sometimes I think it doesn't. How does it not work well, in Well, some people favor? only do one thing, and that really, they get to do that one thing really well. And then when they want that one thing, they go, there's that guy that does that one thing, or that's the thing that becomes the charm of that person. You mean as an actor? Yeah. Okay. Or sometimes as a comic actor. Okay. Yeah. And then, how does it work to your advantage? Oh, uh, I can do a lot of different things. And sometimes people don't even know it's me. They think it's Rob Corddry. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think um, doing the, the uh, full-on Keckner, your, your YouTube channel, how did that help you with getting the NBC it was, pilot? I, I think it was uh, probably critical. 
um, because I, I was doing stand-up and doing that stuff at the same time. I'd gotten uh, a company that approached me to fund uh, some YouTube videos, so they're going to pay all of the production costs, and I can hire writers and all that stuff. I'm like, why wouldn't I do this? And they, they set up all the channel themselves and said, you know, what would you like to do? I told them, and they said, great, do it. So that was the best possible way to go create content. And obviously, we don't know where all this is going to wind up, but having a foot in that space certainly was an education for me in terms of things, what works and what doesn't work, uh, you know, just all all kinds of facets from production what, standpoint. Yeah. What works for what you were doing on the web? Is there like two-minute shorts? I don't know. It's hard to say. Some stuff I enjoy more than others, but what works for me doesn't necessarily work for the people that are digesting these things because I was telling a class earlier most of the stuff is for 12 year old boys well, who's the guy who's the kid we were talking about earlier that class was here Pootie Way or something like that the guy from uh, Sweden who has 12 million subscribers I don't Pootie Way or something like that huh Pewdiepie. Pe- what is it Pewdiepie Pewdiepie yeah. got 12 million subscribers or maybe 15 and what does he do he shrieks like a little girl and that's it? Uh-huh. And he has 12 million <laughs> subscribers. I mean, how would you, what would you describe what he does? He, 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 he plays video games. He plays video games. shrieks like a girl. And shrieks. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> okay, we're gonna, so it doesn't yeah. matter what that was. It was just, it helps, you know, start thinking about how you want to present content and what works. But the stand-up helps, too. But see, that's the thing that I like about you. You just keep, like, okay... If if acting if I'm not getting an acting job right now, I got I'm gonna go and do something else. Right. And not every not every actor thinks like that. You know? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna improve. You do you yeah. do have to create opportunities for yourself all the time. Where do you think your career would be if you didn't create opportunities? I uh, probably wouldn't have one. Okay, we're gonna improvise now. Are we are we gonna sit down and improvise? How does this work? We're gonna go over there and we're gonna improvise. Oh, oh, right, in the right, spot, there. right there. They, they, they've created a spot, a okay. safe, safe container for you. Is there good lighting over there? Uh, is there good lighting the, the over there? The lighting's better right here. <laughs> um, there's no lighting there's over there. There's no lighting over there. Okay, so, so we'll just do it. do it here. We'll just do it here. Okay. Well, we're going to move. Great. These. Do you want us to? No, we'll just. We'll, we don't Watch need that much mic. room. <laughs> Great. We could just do it right here, Jim. This is like the old days, Dave. Yeah. So just unclip it. Okay. Unclip it. We oh, we don't need the mics. Oh. The scene. Oh no no. No, we or can do use. It. Okay. You okay, good? great. Yeah. We'll just okay. use these mics, yeah. Yeah. All right. So what we need is what do you like to take as a suggestion? I don't care. Okay. Um so uh we would like an environment, something that would fit on this stage. Kitchen. A kitchen. All right. So when you hear kitchen, Dave, what do you think? What going on through your head? Well, uh you can do a couple different things. Okay. Well, what I want to do is I want to turn right here. It doesn't matter what the environment is. It matters this person. Okay. Here's the most important thing on the stage is just this. You, I'll just do that again. Put your hands where they were. Okay, I'm putting my hands on okay. my hips. So the way he's standing right now, I can do this. What did I do wrong now? Now that's a question, all right? But I said a couple things. What did I do wrong now? So I got that off of what? This, right? Clearly I've upset you. Mm-hmm. You said you were going to be here at 10 o'clock. It's now 11.30. It's 11.30. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't make fun of me, all I'm right? Not fun You're of you. drunk and it's 11:30, all right? You can tell. Yeah, I can tell. Okay, yeah, I'm drunk. And I'm I got drunk. a party of 8 out there. Okay. I'm more than drunk. <laughs> <laughs> all right? Okay. There, you got it out of me. All right. I got I see cocaine all over your nose. Yeah, yeah. I'm coked up. I'm okay. also a little high. <laughs> a little drunk, a little high, a little coked. Bye. Not my fault. What do you mean it's not your fault? That's it. You get it. No, I don't get it. You I got a party I ate out fault. there. I was, uh, I was being sarcastic, I'm, all right? I knew it. How can I not show up to work with drunk and high in stone if I have to deal with a sarcastic oh, boss? Please. Please. Stan, do not. No, Stan, do not cry, all right? I won't cry. Okay? You can't make me cry. And if that was your intention, it ain't going to work on me, uh, I, 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 That was not my intention. Just put your... your, 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 your your smock on, and let's let's shuck some oysters here, and let's get to work. All right? I'm not going to hit you, Stan. I thought you need to get physical. Oh, Jesus Christ! Don't make Stan. me bring a lawsuit into this thing. I don't want to do that. Stan, you've worked here for two days, and you want a lawsuit? 
Oh, oh for God's sake. Why don't you just scream rape while you're at it? You're gonna rape me! I'm not gonna rape you, Stan! Don't rape me! Oh. Put the whistle down. Stand, stand, stand. We're fine in here. We're fine, everybody. We're fine. Jesus Christ. Stand, put your pants on. Pull your... That is a health viol... That is a health code violation. Pull your pants... Stand, please. Pull your pants. Have you had enough time inside of me? Stand, please. You kidding? All right, just let's just get the jello out. Or else what? Oh, God, You're Stan. You're going to stab me with that knife? No, Stan. Ah! No, Stan. You are, you are so screwed up. It's just, it's frightening. I'm screwed up. You just raped me and threatened to stab uh, me. Not, oh, for God's sakes. Will you just... Let, Don't make me do any more cocaine. Stan, Stan, just put, your, put, put the apron on and let's get to work. Let's just forget about this. Jesus Christ. Don't you take the Lord's name out. Uh, don't, pull the, don't pull the Bible out, okay? I won't pull the Bible out. I'll call the name of Christ down. Oh, Jesus. There you go again. Yes, Jesus. Would you like to have a conversation with Jesus right now? Yeah. I'd like... Jesus? I can't... You just... You just... You just did cocaine, right? You and, raped me. Jesus Christ, Stan. Don't bring Christ into this. He saw the whole thing. Okay, so you said the scene was over four times. Where were they? Well, the first time was, you know, what? crying, rape, rape. Okay, great. dropping my pants, I think. Okay. You know, at that point, someone probably would have edited the scene. Okay. And it kind of been heightened. <laughs> the lights just went down. Yeah. Lights, yeah. Okay. What did you think? Did you not think that? Well, I, usually we go longer. We go about seven or eight minutes. Oh, oh, oh okay. we can. But the, no, no, the no. scene kind of peaked at one point, right. didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what do you do when you just? Well, it's just we, gonna we be were a, able to just continue because we moved on to something else, but kept kind of the same game mm -hmm. going on. Yeah, right. What I love about you is you work so organically. Can you tell? Just go back to the the beginning with my arms on my things. Well, here's what I'll go back to. What Dell would say is Dell Close. Del we, we both sure. we both studied. Right? Uh, believe yeah. me, there's a lot of people out there that don't know of, of him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would say this, and this is one of the things that struck me the most. Um, the scene has already started when you're on stage. So once you clear the flats, let's say if you're working flats or here, once you and I looked at each other, the scene had already started. There's nothing worse than waiting for the two to discover that it's been going on already. The audience sees that something's already happening. The fact that he put his arms up gave me the body language to go, okay, I'll read that as this. So I can label that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you work, for me, you work with I, me, mine, we, us, they, them, you personalize it, right? Mm -hmm. So now we've got some stakes for both of us to be uh, involved in. Right. And so then I use kitchen as yeah. like, okay, you're coming in and working as a kid. You, we work as a restaurant right. together. Right, but we, it never became about the business, did it? No. Now most people, you get kitchen, what are the first thing you do? Start washing those dishes! <laughs> Nobody fucking washes dishes! <laughs> Put them in the dishwasher, or no one just makes it about uh, the labor of putting it in there. Yeah. Jesus, there's nothing worse to watch than someone doing business on stage like that. I mean, if you really need to do that to get it out of your head, great. But make it a matter of course of what's happening. No, there's nothing more interesting than two humans interacting. And that's the connection you that you always work from that place. Yes, that's the only thing that matters on stage is what's going on between the two people. The dishes could be a coin of exchange. I could have picked up a plate and go, clean enough? Clean enough this time? All right, now that's a question. So I know some people are like, he asked a question. You, you can do anything you want on stage as long as you both agree to it and then heighten it. But okay. here's the thing, Dave. You're I hope that's clean enough for you. Well, it is, Dave. Thank you. Hey. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, happy anniversary to you, too. There. Okay, it's but here's the thing, Dave, <laughs> that you go in with, and I don't even know if you're aware of it, question or not question, you always come in with an attitude. Yeah. And don't how... take an attitude off the other person. Well, so how do you... So in that scene, 
you were just taking an attitude off me. Explain right. how you come in with an attitude and where you get that from. Well, you can, all right, if you take kitchen, all right? Mm -hmm. So we have an environment, and you can say whatever you want about the environment. Okay, you, we didn't know if it was going to be a workplace kitchen or a domestic kitchen or whatever kitchen you had. We just had a place. And it didn't really matter for our scene after, after a while. Uh, it mattered for you, like, okay, you're a guy that works for you. You said you're the boss. So for me, for kitchen, if I don't have anything, I mean, you look at your partner, they're giving you everything. But you can also come in, if you're a little worried about what you're going to do, you can divine something from a kitchen. What's in a kitchen? There's a blender, there's a mixer, there's a fork, there's a knife, there's a drawer. You can play any one of those things improvisationally, I will argue, okay? So you can use that as an archetype for you to deliver to the scene. Okay, say if I'm a knife, all right? What's a knife? What, is, what are its properties? Sharp. Sharp, okay? So... Let's do the same thing. Plates clean. Uh, great, thanks. You're welcome. Um, so uh, you, I'm I'm uh, working the floor. So yep. I, well, so always on that floor. Yeah, great. So all best you man on the floor. Yes, yes. So you're on that floor. People snap too. Yeah, they do. So yep. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, great. So you did the plate. You did got it. you got did it twice. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yep. Great, and I really I know you like it twice. I do like it twice. I really Lights do. Plates are clean. Yeah, it's great. Do you see that difference? So that's my interpretation of sharp, right? Now you can also play sharp as uh, witty, or uh, or what? Uh, let's do a knife. It can also be what? What's another property of knife? Dangerous, shiny. Dangerous, shiny. Uh, great. Let's be dangerous and shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Plates done. Yeah, great. Uh, just put it over there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this plate over here? Yeah, just put it over there. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> you know what? You, you, you're done for the day, okay? I'd rather stay. No, 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 please. <laughs> Probably a good idea. I'd rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay. Yeah, no, uh, you know. You sure this plate's clean? Ah, it's spotless. Food? I've never seen a cleaner plate in my life. Just. I cleaned it twice. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you, you, you can go. I'll punch out for you. Punch out? Yeah, P punch out. You go ahead and punch out. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you walk over there? I'm not going over there alone. <laughs> I'm not going to turn my back on you. Why don't you back over there? Yeah. And punch me out. And then I will punch you out. <laughs> okay. So, do you see the difference? <laughs> so, you can take a property of anything. Right? And use it. And you don't have to work. You're doing just, what if you just did shiny or dangerous? You know, you can pick one. What's another property? Cutting. There's so many properties for any instrument in the kitchen that you can use. How about dish rag? Right? Can you use properties of dish rag to divine a character that's going to work for you in the scene and you don't have to do anything else? What are the, what are the properties of dish rag? Soggy. Soggy. Can you play soggy? Right? I finished the plate. Thanks. <laughs> I had to wash it. I know. I heard Three you. times. I was having the <laughs> hardest time with plates. I don't know why. But plates are just... I don't know. I know. You, you have a I much... would rather wash glass all I know. day You have long. a much easier time with, with, with glasses, Henry. But you're satisfied with the cleanliness of this place? Yes, plate? I'm fine. fine. Sometimes I think it's more about our relationship. You haven't been home in the last couple days? When I text you, you don't text back? What is on TV? Oh, you're avoiding now, is that it? Yes. Is this about the plate? No, it's about us. I'd rather it be about the plate. <laughs> That's the problem, Henry, with this relationship. The problem is you're exhausting. Henry... I don't think I love you anymore. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything can serve you. Just define the properties of anything. You can come in with something. You walk to the theater and decide somehow timid is going to serve me tonight. Give yourself that. Put it in your bag. Somehow boldness is going to serve me tonight. That's all you have. They just say that. You define it for yourself. Those two things are going to serve me. So you've already walked on stage, you're going to succeed. Maybe you'll play timid, 
Maybe you'll play bold. All right? Well, you can't predetermine the improvisation. Yeah, you can. Because it'll fucking serve you. Maybe you're going to work on a character. Maybe your character's just a little nervous. Or maybe it's just got a little something here or there. Or maybe that. Maybe you just come in and go, all I know is I'm going to put my foot like this. That's all. And then how's that going to serve you? Well, I don't know. Just Yeah, I'll get that for you. I'll get it. No, no, no. But it's fine. I, I can get it myself. So, but anything can serve you because it's already started because you've got a little something going on. You don't have to do anything. Get all rid of all the rules. Then just go do the thing. It's, 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 that's how I approach it. But what do you tell people? Because when we were starting out, if you would have had this in a class yeah. when we were starting out, we would have all rolled our eyes in the back of our head and said, that's cheating. That's not cheating. Nothing's cheating. You mm -hmm. bring your life to the work. It's and cheating not to, to, to cheat yourself. I'm not saying uh, uh, write the scene. I'm saying give yourself something already there. Because what happens is you get up there and you start panicking. You're like, I don't know what to do. And I'll, I'll tell you this, nine times out of ten, if you already say, I'm going to divine timid somewhere tonight, and I'm going to divine bold somewhere tonight, you might not even use it. But the fact that you've already got something in your quiver, you're like, all right, I'm fine. Of the... I come out with something planned or I work off the partner, what, what would you say the percentage is you that you work? You can do were? both. Uh, and with you, what would you say, 50-50? I just go off the person. I you think do? there were Yeah. I think there have been times when I've used that technique. And I'm only saying this, that so you don't have to go, because so many times you go up on stage, you're scared to fucking death because you don't know what to do. But you don't have to do anything but look at this person and something's going to come. But if you give yourself a few amulets to use, that's not cheating. That's preparation. And you probably won't even use it because you won't have to because you're, you're confident now that you've got something to do. Okay, we're going to take some questions from the audience. Uh, so uh, about either what we just did here. Or but what I, we, I also yes. want to say something yeah, that please. will never fail you. Just simply in the most simple, simple way, yes and your partner, you will never, ever lose. Just the simplest way, yes and your partner, you will always win. You are always been a big believer of yes and. I mean, oh, probably an extreme yes and. Probably say the most extreme, almost so much that it's dangerous. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you make me laugh. All right, uh, some questions for Dave. If we could just turn the house lights on so we could see. I see a hand up over here. Okay, great. Yeah, Tom. Tom Benseal. He's been to every improv nerd show ever. <laughs> Does he know there's not a badge? <laughs> he does know that. Yeah. Yeah. My question for you, Dave, was uh, last year at your workshop you guys did together, you made a really cool point about judgment, yeah. about getting out of your life and so forth and out of scenes. At what point in your own life did that come to a realization for you? How did that come about for you? About, about judgment? About getting just judgment out of your life. Um, I, I don't remember, but I know I don't know exactly when it happened. I don't have a timeline. Every, think. You guys did a workshop last year. Yeah, yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean. But uh, I may have come up with that statement because I taught another improv class somewhere else. And I thought, well, if you just don't judge it, you don't have fear. Because there can't be. There's no judgment. There can't be fear. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it was. No judgment, no fear, right? You, made a, you took it one step further and said, just get judgment out of your life in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it won't serve you ever. Yeah. I mean, you do you know, ever sure. get a judge? No, of course, not to take it to the extreme. If you can't jump that distance, uh, and there's a large crevasse there, uh, you should use judgment. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, personal judgment or judgment of other people. Unless you think that person might be a murderer, then you can judge it that this might be a situation you shouldn't get in. But you know what I'm talking about, emotionally judging things. Do you ever get afraid before you perform, Dave? Not anymore. Are you serious? Yeah. On a movie set? No. On stand-up, doing stand-up? You never get afraid. I'm just going to go do it. I've already, I've already decided I'm going to do it. It doesn't serve you. What happens when you, when you, you stand up is much different than improv because you can, you, you got to take all the blame. I guess you can blame the audience sometimes. What do you do when you, you. Well, you I will say this. I, I, I'm lying okay. a little bit. Okay. If I'm going to work on a new piece and I'm going to a place in Los Angeles and it's not written, I'm going to try a new bit. Um, and I'm not sure where it begins or where it ends, but I have a grain of an idea. I'm going to work out that night. But usually it's in some smaller uh, venue that's not a traditional stand-up club. 
I might have a little bit of apprehension, and this might come part and parcel with where I feel like this is an ego thing. Um, like, oh, I can't go take a shit up there because they'll know who I am and they go, he wasn't very good. I thought he'd be better. I mean, those voices kind of get there too because I know that I have to, I, I'm expected to have somewhat of a success rate if I decide to go up in front of people. But, you know, sometimes you're just going to go risk things and you're usually going to win. So I, I can have some apprehension about things like that. What about like tomorrow you're doing, a, you're doing a show at Park West. Yeah. People are coming to see Terrified. You. No. Well, is there an expectation like, oh, they're coming to see Champ, they're coming to see... Oh, I know that. Okay. That doesn't bother me. Okay. I mean, I build that stuff in there. I know that there's an expectation that people come to hear me say whammy. That's going to happen throughout the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I know that's, they want to hear that. Why would I not do that? Mm -hmm. That's what they know me for. Okay. So I don't mind giving them a little appetizer. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Another question for Dave? Yes. Right here? Yeah, the guy with the mustache. Yeah. What is your name? Willem. Willem. Anchorman was kind of the movie that got me interested in comedy and it propelled me to want to pursue it. What was the initial spark or inspiration for your career? Um, well, I, I loved watching uh, uh, Abbott and Costello with my dad on Saturday afternoons. Fan of the Marx Brothers. Um, but I, the thing that I, I found most inspiring was a movie and it was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I couldn't believe it. It was so smart and so funny, it blew my mind. And I was 13, and it came on at like 1.30 in the morning. I was living in Tipton, Missouri, babysitting, because my parents went out dancing. And uh, I thought at first it was going to be a horror movie, because it starts with fog. And blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, I'm not sure I can do this. And then these guys come over. With Coke, and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but that was the most inspiring thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I'd been watching Saturday Night Live, and I thought that was amazing. But then that, and I, I'm from some, a small town. I don't, there's not a lot of options. And there weren't, there weren't VCRs then. Then my, the closest movie theater was 45 minutes away, or 45 miles away. So we didn't go to the movies a lot. So, but that, that, that just blew my mind. So. You know, when we were starting out, when you came to Chicago, there was always, we always used to joke that you were a hayseed yeah. from... Has that gone away? I mean, there was some truth to that. Uh, uh, Careful. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't very sophisticated. I live in a small town. I, I wasn't, you know, in right. a city. So it's a very different culture. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I was a little raw. Mm -hmm. I was a little green. Uh, but no, no, I've played a lot of characters in movies and television that are, that are you know, uh, uh, rubish. Right. Yeah. That, that come from... Well, that certainly, yeah, comes from my background, mm -hmm. but also my, I, I have a propensity to do that. I can do that well, mm -hmm. maybe better than some other people. So people tend to think of you like that. Right. Well, I've never thought of you like that. Well, well no, when, when no, first, you know, we used to joke, you know. Sure. You know, and I always thought, were you insecure about coming from a small town? No, I just laughed about it. Some people will try to make it more of a, a case for something like that than others, but I recognized the people that, tried to bear down on that a little harder mm -hmm. that was their own fear and ignorance mm -hmm. Try, they're trying to mask it because you were always a really good sport about it yeah well anytime some certain people would say that and I'm not going to mm -hmm. mention their names right. I knew that came from a place of insecurity for them so mm -hmm. they had to try and throw it on me mm -hmm. I, I, you know it's whatever I knew what it was right um, let's take another question right here um, how long were you I guess climbing the improv ladder until you were at a point that you were comfortable Comfortable, divine comfortable. Comfortable, like uh, monetarily, I guess. Monetarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and work itself. Shit, but, uh, man. Yeah. I didn't have I didn't, I didn't have money in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not going to make money in improvisation. Mm -hmm. Period. Right. Well, with one caveat, except unless you're doing uh, what's that show? Whose line is Whose it? Whose line is it anyway? Which is really a part of the game. I'm not going to denigrate it. It's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're making a, a bank uh, on television, and they make bank when they go out and do the show live. They do very well. Mm -hmm. So if you can do that, you can make money. Right, right. In improvisation. Mm -hmm. But I would, I would say that after a while, there's probably not a lot of improvisation, as you might see it. Right. But you because, you know, after a while, you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. There's, that, that's, games can fit in quite nicely and be repeated. Okay. And it might not be improvisation. We're talking about long-form improvisation. 
yeah, I'm more so talking about just comedy in general. Um, like you, you probably started doing improv, right? Yeah. So yeah, how long? Uh, how long? I guess until. Uh, I made a living. You made a living. Off oh, of when I got to Second City. Okay. Yeah, the first time I got paid doing improvisation, we got a gig at the racetrack. Was it the racetrack? It was some. Okay. No. I, Where was it? I, I don't. I, I don't remember, but it was like an outside gig. Yeah, and we were doing long form, which doesn't play well for people that aren't coming to see long form. <laughs> but I got $50, mm-hmm. and Jimmy uh, Xeroxed the $50 uh, and gave me the $50, but he said, here, this is the first money you've ever made in show business. Do you remember that? Yes. And I remember, do you remember one of your first, I'll never forget one of your first acting gigs in Chicago. You, you, neither one of us had much luck. Yeah. And I've been here a long time. Remember you did um, a print ad with John Madden and yes. you came back and you were like, John, John Madden is a jerk. Is that true? <laughs> okay, all right. I said that. Camera's rolling. Okay. Uh, Do you remember that? Yeah. It was like $400. I didn't even know if you got paid for it because of... Yeah, I did. It was a print ad and I got $400. Yeah. Yeah. But I just remember like the... And dis- what did I do? I framed the print ad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the other thing that we had? Because we were roommates for a while. You had, and I think you might still have it in your office in L.A., you had a picture of John Belushi from Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah. It's in my bathroom now. Okay. What, in the kid's bathroom. What... What was what was John Belushi to you growing up? Oh, I thought you know, uh, from age thirteen on, like this guy is special because he was, mm-hmm. yeah, and so that was inspiring to me. Like, how do you get to that? And was he the reason you came to Chicago? Uh, no, all of them were, because you know, uh, Bill Murray, John Belushi, uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd, of course, from Toronto and Gilda, they mm-hmm. came from Second City, so that's why I came right. to Chicago because of Second City. And remember the compliment. People would always say you're like, you remind me of Bill Murray. Do you remember that? I don't as much. Did okay. It? okay. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, another question. Right here. Uh, this is a question for both of you. Uh, what's your opinion on like breaking up and laughing in a scene? Oh, that's a sin. <laughs> a sin. Yeah, that's a sin. Either is that that's that that that's not entertainment. It becomes a device for people. It's, it serves some people very well. Now, what would you say? Because we had Horatio on, and Horatio said that's he did it because it was part of so people would realize it was live TV on Saturday Night Live. Uh, I don't know. I can't comment on that. Okay. That they had a reason for doing it, and it, it, uh, then that's great. Mm-hmm. Great. That just doesn't work for me because if you get that habit, and here's what happens: if you're laughing, you're ruining. The, if you're working in a movie. And I'm having a good take, and you start laughing. Guess what? You just fucked my take, and I gotta go. What's going on with you? It was so funny all of a sudden that you couldn't help but laugh. And we've done this scene ten times now, and you're laughing because I'm killing it. And you want, I've, I've had I've worked with actors that laugh when you're doing a good take. Do you think they're sabotaging? Oh fuck yeah, yeah. Now not on Anchorman, not there. Lesser production. Now, on Anchorman, sometimes you just, for instance, you just fucking, you lose it. If you're sitting next to Steve Carell, <laughs> and Will Ferrell winds up as Ron Burgundy, and says, shut up, Rick! Just shut up! <laughs> now, how the fuck are you not going to laugh? <laughs> so, but that's not out of cruelty. And I will tell you, honest truth, I had to fucking think of tough situations my kids have been in to fucking withstand that. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding, because it was so goddamn funny. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> so, but now you're talking about a specific situation. You're talking about Saturday Night Live with Fallon and uh, Sands? Just like in general. In I general? Thinking, I was thinking like just improv. Just oh, improv? Oh. But also. No, hey, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I, I've laughed, you know. Sometimes your partner throws something out and just fucking devastates you. Okay, you're out. That happens. That's real. You know? What do you tell people that, that, that do that? They, they break up on stage. If it's, if it's a habit they always do, look, we all have our moments, and it's fun for everybody. You know, if it really 
did happen so intensely that you just lost it, that's fine. If that's your thing, who's going to want to work with you? You know, here comes Mr. Laffins. It also, don't you think it breaks the tension of the scene? Well, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying if it's a habit that you always do, that's bad. If, if it happens, that's fine. If that's what you always do, fuck it. Fuck you. Great, we got but, another... So that's, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? So in context, yeah. sometimes you can't help it. I've laughed on stage. People make you laugh. You know, as much as you want to be in it, fuck it. It happens. You're going to see the deleted scenes of Anchorman when in the blind, the lighthouse scene... <laughs> when Will is being Ron and petulant and self-pitying, there's deleted outtakes. We were fucking not able to do it because it was so goddamn devastatingly funny. All of us lost it, and that had something to do with the last scene the four of us were going to do for the movie too. We all knew that, so who knows? And they're just the four of us together. But that's just one of those things that everybody was fucking just lost. So, what's the process, the improv process on Anchorman? Um, I've heard Adam throws lines out and yeah. people repeat them. Yeah. So, we'll shoot the scene three or four times. When Adam's satisfied and he knows he has a, a good take, then he'll, he'll leave it open. He'll just go, okay, let's go ahead and improvise. Uh, he used to say, let the squirrel out of the bag. Uh, and now, since you're shooting digital, you don't have to worry about your film cost. Uh, he, will, he has a microphone behind the, the director's monitor, and there's a PA system. Uh, near the set and he'll throw out lines and then you just repeat his yeah. lines and just you repeat them or come up with a new one or just yeah go uh, is, is, are you amazed how quickly McKay he, is the most amazing ever you know yeah his his mind has its own gravitational pull it's just it's immense he gave he gave alternative lines of dialogue for everyone in the movie all day long it was amazing and remember when he started improvising how, like, he was different than what we had come up yeah. with? And he was... He was I, I'd never met someone so articulate. Yeah. But, I mean, he, it was all in his head. Yeah, I mean, he, you he's know... He's bright. Oh. Yeah. Question here? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, uh, I might try to steal two quick questions in here real quick. Uh, one about uh, Jazz Freddy. And when you've talked about it in the past, I, I believe uh, you've talked about it being... Uh, a group that you guys put together because it was you wanted to offer something that wasn't being offered at the time uh, and I was wondering if you could uh, kind of talk about that a little bit and then I'm also wondering coming from the, the guys who were talking uh, having coffee afterwards and, and you know judging other people's careers uh, and going back was there a single point where you made a, a choice that this is I'm going to step away from that and I'm going to be uh, I'm going to make different choices, or, or do, you, do you understand what I'm I used to bitch and complain a lot. Yeah. Was, was there a moment that you were like... Well, when you start getting success. I mean, okay. you know. <laughs> but bitching and complaining never helps, um, you know. But this i got to tell you, this Dave, when you would come back and you would you would imitate somebody in a cast, it was some of the funniest fucking <laughs> things that I ever experienced. Maybe it'll serve you in finding a new character. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you... I, I, you have helped me so much in terms of like imitating people and stuff like that because you find the essence of that person and you just you just I mean you are a brilliant mimic you really are I, 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 I can do some physical quirks not vocal not the best vocal no but you find the you I'll find you're right I'll f I can find a little like you said, the essence of a person. But like their sometimes. point of view and how they look yeah. at life. Yeah. It, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and the what was your second part of the, the question? Uh, just talking about uh, Jazz Freddy and, and what it was that, uh, what was it that you guys were like, this isn't being offered right now. We want this, we want to put together. Well, we'd already been through the IO and Second City, and none of us were hired by Second City, so we bitched and complained about that. <laughs> so we were just giving ourselves a different venue to dig deeper into a, 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 maybe a, a, a more fluid style of improvisation. Okay. So we were just kind of creating something new with some really seasoned improvisers who had a, a, a mostly a, the same point of view about how things played. But I really think... It was, it was I, a real good dance, that thing. Yeah, but, but we were also really committed. Remember, yes. we, I mean, we, we had... We rehearsed you, three nights a week. Three nights a week, and then we... For an improv show. And That's the people that we said, hey, you can't do it. Remember, who got hired from Second City? I don't know. Didn't, did, uh, did Rachel Dratch get hired? She well, may have. Was Stack, Brian Stack... Who were the ones we said, hey, you can't do the second run? 
We were I don't remember. Okay. Because there was – we did a second run, and we were like, okay, you, you know, if you can't commit to this schedule – Oh. You know. Because we were rehearsing three times a week? Yeah. 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 Don't remember. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. Should have been writing three times a week. Yeah. Uh, we had another question back here. can't take a group with you. You're, everyone's in this for themselves. Everyone's on this journey alone. How did you get to that point? Because coming from Chicago, we didn't think didn't that think way. Didn't think like that. Everybody in and help yeah. everybody out. I want to just work with my friends. Everybody friend. has to help themselves. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to get themselves to the point where they're the ones that get hired for the right reason. Mm -hmm. That's and, all there is to it. And then when you get there... You, you can then help. it's on autopilot. You don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. You just get there. You know, it's not. Here's the thing. It, 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 it's a business, so you know you can't. You and your buddies now. If you have a, a great group and you're very productive, uh, and you're shooting videos that are a hit on YouTube, then maybe someone's going to hire you. What's what's a couple of the groups that have made it? Look, the workaholics, whitest kids you know. Okay. Yeah, you stick with it, you can get it, it can happen. But an improv troupe, you can't. <laughs> you, can't you can't have an improv troupe stay together and, and you know, do something. Why is that? Why can't an improv group? Well, you can't, no one's going to pay to see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, people that watch improv are improvisers, by and large. Now, you can get audiences and stuff like that, you know, but most of the, that business model is paid through classes. You know, that's where the revenue stream comes from, that and alcohol sales. It's a lot of times not ticket sales because you do a lot of different gimmicks to get people in the door, whether it's half-price tickets or giveaways or whatever because you just want an audience. You get an audience there, you can sell, sell alcohol. So that's, you know, keep your ticket prices low, get people in the building. You know, uh, comedy clubs give away the night all the time. Uh, they just, you know, sell the booze. So that's part of it. But I'm saying, not saying something can't be done. It's very difficult. And a group of people democratically improvising, you know, you're just, uh, unless you have your own theater where people always come, you know, it's a, a tough way to make a living. But I think also, Dave, industry people aren't going to come out and see an improv, see improv show. show. They'll come out and see a sketch show. They'll come out and see a sketch show. Or a stand-up show. stand-ups, because that's material. That's, you know, it's content. Um, we got to wrap this up. Did that answer your question? Because here's the thing, what happens, you get here and there's comfort in a group, right? Not going to make it as a group unless you're Monty Python or, or you know, all these other people. And they wrote their way there. You know, you're not, the improv group's not going to put you there. There's comfort there. But in the end, you've got to do it yourself because you can't take everybody along to the audition. They don't audition groups. <laughs> what advice would you give somebody starting out today in comedy? In comedy. I uh, told this young man earlier do it every day, read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, that's a good start. I would listen to uh, Stephen King on writing. I'd listen to it because it's fun to listen to the author do his book and it's great. It's like he's swimming around in your head and it's very inspiring. Um, what else, I said something earlier, what, what was the other one I said, I forgot. Whatever. Uh, but then it's all in the doing. It's the 10,000 hours theory is what Outliers is. And we were on stage constantly. Yep. We were always doing it. Mm -hmm. So do as much as you can. But I have a full life, too. That's the other part. You can't, you know, you got to live. live your How life. is your comedy? You've got a full life. You've got a wife. You've got five kids. They range from high school to preschool. To preschool. How has that helped your comedy? Because it is in your stand-up. Uh, it's probably more uh, treacly. Treacly. Well, it's just sugary sweet. No, I don't care. Uh, I don't know. I, everything, your, everything in your life, I assume, just informs you. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it. Maybe I understand how things can have a more f familiar, universal resonance because I have a large group of family. I have to ask this question: Are you? Ha is this the happiest you've ever been? <laughs> this moment right now, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dave Keckner, thank you so much thank for being you. our guest on Improv.
And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. It's episode 85, I believe, but you're going to have to double check my math on that. And I want to thank my dear friend, Dave Keckner for doing this. I really appreciate it. He had a long day of doing a lot of press, and he had to throw out the first ball at the Cubs game and sing the seventh inning stretch. And we did this show at like 8 o'clock at night. So I just want to express my gratitude not only for my friendship, for but for Dave doing the show, because it really meant a lot to me. Also, I want to thank Joe Keefe over at Columbia College and a person I, I used to work with at the Second City Communications. I really appreciate, Joe, all you've done for me over the years and to set this thing up at Columbia College meant a lot to me. It was so cool to do that uh, in a television uh, studio. Also, as always, my producer, Ben Caprero, he's the one who makes it sound so slick and so professional. You wouldn't be even hearing my voice right now if it wasn't for the talents of Ben Caprero. Uh, Also, because you're smart people, and I've said this on almost every podcast, we're on a thing called Feral Audio. It is a podcast collective, and we are not there alone. There's some really cool podcasts like Todd Berry, Matt Dwyer, Steve Agee, Chelsea Peretti, Dan Harmon. I could go on and on and on, but enough name dropping in one show. Go to feralaudio.com. Check it out. Also, if you want more information about me and my award-winning classes, The Artist Low Comedy, and my Improv Nerd blog, which will help you become a better improviser. It really deals with improvising is an inside job, all right? So what's going on in your head and how we can help you become a better improviser, go and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, just go to jimmycarane.com. Also, we are on Facebook, so go to and like our Improv Nerd Facebook page. It really helps with my low self-esteem. And follow us on Twitter. We're improv underscore nerd. Check us out. We say some pretty funny, outrageous things on there. And uh, also, I want to thank my sponsor, The Hotel Lincoln. And I want to thank you for listening, because we couldn't do this without you. So until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd, oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. Hello. I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior. Happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype and that he has come for his cocaine. As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. 